It's fun when you are able to trust that intuition, not really intuition, a word from God, really, in your heart, directing you, and you're willing to step out of that fear zone into the faith zone and obey, because God will open doors that you couldn't have possibly known were even there had you not reached out and done what he asked you to do. Welcome to Star of the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. And today I'm sitting here on a party bus, literally driving around Orlando with my good friend, John Morgan from johncmorgan.com. You may know John because John is no stranger to the show. John has been a guest in the past. John is an impersonator of George W. Bush. Uh, He's got an awesome new book that's coming out, War on Fear. He was recently in the documentary Just About Famous. And John, welcome to the party bus. Yeehaw! I am so glad to be here, and I'm so glad to be with America. <laughs> All right, so John, let's just uh, talk about buses and stuff. Do you have a good bus story? Yes. You know, years ago, I had the privilege of going out on tour with uh, Winter Jam. Winter Jam is a awesome. It's like the largest continuing concert tour in America for I think they're 15 years going now. And uh, I had the chance to go out and uh, show off my George Bush skills and my guitar skills and stuff. And the first night on the tour, I was sleeping in the top bunk. There's three levels. And so I was up at the top and halfway through the night, because they'd had all the party food and drinks and stuff, you know, like nature called. (laughs) And uh, I mean, it's pitch black on that bus. We're driving from the first venue to the second venue in the middle of the night. And uh, I was a little kind of concerned because... There's both guys and girls on the bus. And I didn't even know how to get down out of my top bunk, much less get to the bathroom, you know, on the bus. <laughs> so finally, I, I, you know, I made the, the first mistake was trying to hold it. I thought, I'll just wait this out. Well, that just don't work. And uh, it got desperate. So I think I might have stepped on somebody's nose trying to get out of the bunk. And finally, I got out of the bunk and then went, went up to the front door where, where the bathroom was on the other side of the door. And I could not open that door. There was no, I felt around, uh, there was no switches anywhere. And I'm getting, I'm dancing in the hallway. It's pitch black. I can't see a thing. I'm freaking out. And then I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I I eventually thought, I'll just go back to my bunk. And and I guess I'll just have to try to wait it out, you know? And so I went back to my bunk and that just flat didn't work. I almost created a puddle and I didn't know if that would drip down on the person under me. And so I just... Had to wake somebody up, which I didn't want to do, but I did. And I found out where the button was to open the bathroom door. It was nowhere near the bathroom. <laughs> Crazy. And that's my bus story. That is not what I expected. And yeah, that, that, I see, I might have had fear in the past telling an embarrassing story like that, but you had no fear. How is it that you have no fear sharing stories like that? What kind of fear? <laughs> fear fear of, uh, of uh, harsh judgment. What do I care? <laughs> well said. All right, so you said that you were playing guitar, and I, I do know that you're a musician, and there was a, a certain challenge that was extended previously, and you have not forgotten that challenge, although I had. So let's talk a little bit about the challenge. Honestly, I have forgotten about it. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. Well, we'll just move on then. Well, remind me, because I'm... Well, I, I do happen to know that while we're in this party bus, which is another story I'll tell yes. in a little bit, you have a ukulele with you. Oh, that challenge. Yes. Well, I don't remember. Oh, I, you, you did a thing about what's your favorite Beatles song. 
Do you remember that? Yes, I do. And so somehow or another, that led to a conversation about me doing a Beatles song on your show. And so I thought, that's kind of freaky and scary because I'm not sure I could just do one all of a sudden impromptu. So I started practicing. And so when you invited me to be on your show today in the party bus, I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be ready. And I brought my ukulele to do a Beatles song for you on ukulele in the party bus right now. Uh, well, I say no time like the present, John, if you're willing. No time like the president? No time like the president. Okay, so uh, I'll quickly tell the party bus story while you're busting out the ukulele. I went to rent a car two days ago. I had made a rental reservation at Budget near my home. Went to go pick it up, and they didn't have any cars available. And when I was having conversation with the lady at the counter, someone returned a 12-passenger van. And that was the only car that they had, and I needed a car to drive to Orlando for work purposes. So I ended up with the 12-passenger van. I was a little embarrassed at first to drive this 12-passenger van, but now I'm here with John Morgan, and we're recording a podcast in what I call the party bus, and he's got a ukulele ready to jam out and, and, and do some perfect, Beatles. Because in that in that little economy car you wanted to rent, there wouldn't even be room for my ukulele. This is true. So picture this. I'm driving while recording a podcast, and John has a ukulele sitting in the front passenger seat, and he's buckled in, of course, safety first, and he has a ukulele in his lap, and he's about to perform something from the Beatles. Yes, this is a, a uh, tribute to... A soon-to-be former first lady. Michelle, my belle, these are words that go together well. My Michelle! <laughs> Simon Givon, Trebian on song, I love you, I love you, I love you. That's all I wanna say until I find a way. I will say the only words I know that you understand. Okay, I think we've done enough damage to your show. I, no, that was wonderful. I, I'm actually surprised. And uh, the, a nice tribute being you are a George W. Bush impersonator to the First Lady, Michelle Obama. Yes, well, you know, the one I really want to sing is, Oh, 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 oh. Goodbye, but that'll be January. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> all right. All right, that was fantastic. Thank you for sharing that talent. And you know, you you do music, as you mentioned, you've you've done music in the past, but you still incorporate music in the things you do now, right? Yes, I figure as long as I can do it and it's entertaining and people enjoy it, why not? Well, one of my favorite stories that you share in your new book, War on Fear, is a moment when you suddenly realized you're about to board a plane and you're just going to bust out in song for everyone who's about to get on this plane. If you'd be willing to share that story, I think that's great. I try to live with a sense of adventure 
And I, so I listen for those gentle nudges from God to speak to somebody, to reach out to somebody, to tap somebody on the shoulder and give them a word of encouragement, whatever. And uh, sometimes it's a little out of the ordinary and sometimes it's a little bit stretching. And in this particular instance, I was about to board a flight. I was in my queue in the line in uh, Sky Priority. And all of a sudden I hear, sing to everybody in my spirit, in my heart. And I'm like, oh no, this, this can't be. <laughs> and and uh, so I quickly quieted my thoughts and I thought, Lord, are, are you serious? Is this, you're kidding, right? I mean, th- this was just me, right? I'm just trying to, dr-. and I really felt like God was clearly saying, sing to everybody. Now he, he knows me well enough to know that he can hit me with something outlandish like that. And I might actually do it, you know? So, <laughs> so I thought, oh gosh, and, you know, I wonder how this is going to play out. So I look to my left and I see the man who I figure looks like he's the captain. He's got the the captain-y clothes on, you know? And I said, hey, captain. And he looked over at me and, and I said, I'm proud to be an American. You know, I'm, I'm dressed. I've got my suit on with the, you know, American flag lapel pin. I'm, my hair is all done up like George Bush. I look just like George Bush. So I go, I'm proud to be an American. And then I turn to the rest of the crowd behind me and go, well, at least I know I'm free and I won't forget. The man who died, and, and I finished out the So, the, so you're the saying song. God bless the USA. God, yes, I sang that. And, uh, you know, and everybody chuckled and got a good laugh, and it really changed the mood in the line. And for the, the whole rest of the flight, it was like a party bus on the plane. Well, and, and that is good enough, but then what happened afterward is really interesting because you ended up connecting with someone that you might not have connected otherwise and made a friend out of you just sensing that you needed to sing, and you did it. Yeah. It's fun when you are able to trust that intuition, not really intuition, a word from God, really, in your heart, directing you, and you're willing to step out of that fear zone into the faith zone and obey, because God will open doors that you couldn't have possibly known were even there had you not reached out and done what he asked you to do. And in this particular instance, a guy came up to me after the flight, introduced himself, and it turns out he runs conferences. And uh, we've had two or three conversations now, and and I um, mean I'm quite convinced that our new friendship will lead to an appearance at least one at a conference, and potentially uh, some uh, radio interviews and things that'll help to promote the book. Yeah, it could connect you uh, with some other influential folks that he knows and that he's connected with, and we'll just see where that goes. But what a wonderful story of you being prompted to to do something a little bit random, maybe something that might strike fear into most people, but you just went with it, had fun with it, and that produced uh, a really fun outcome and connected you with someone who's now a friend and potentially someone who's going to help you grow your business. Yeah, yeah. Want to hear another story? Let's hear it. One day I was in the lobby of a hotel, and uh, it was a Memorial Day weekend, and we were there, me and a bunch of my friends, to kick off the beginning of summer. Memorial Day weekend, three-day weekend, a lot of fun. And I saw a handicapped fella in the lobby of the hotel that I recognized. Now. We were at Ormond Beach, but we live in Orlando, so Ormond Beach is like 100 miles away, and uh, I see a guy there that I recognized that had had been at my church a couple of nights earlier that week and actually had gone forward and and, uh, gave his life to Christ. And one of the reasons it was notable in my mind, number one, he was sitting two seats over from me, and number two, he was handicapped. So it took him forever to get down front. Nice guy. But what's he doing in the lobby of this hotel 100 miles away? You know, that as far as I know, he didn't know my group or anybody in my, my little clique. And uh, 
So there he is, and I felt this nudge to go over and introduce myself. And you know, I didn't want to do it. I mean, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't want to be hindered by it and everything. But plus the fear of man and all these things. But I overcame those and went over and reached out to him. And uh, it turned out the next night he introduced me to my wife. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, <laughs> what better story there is there than that? I mean, you got to meet your wife because you were obedient to go speak with someone. I, I love that. That's amazing. Well, I'll tell you what. So are my kids and so are my grandkids. They're all very glad that I did that. Yeah, me too. I, uh, nothing I'm glad you did. You've done a lot of things I'm glad you did. But, but I, was, I really enjoyed the documentary. So I wanted to hear a little bit about the documentary, what that was like. And then one thing I want to point out about the documentary is it just about famous is the name of it. You have no shame whatsoever in your faith and in your relationship with the Lord in this documentary, which is a mainstream documentary. And anybody that watches that is going to see that about you and know that. And there, it's impossible for them not to see that in, in that, that movie. It's, it's all throughout it. And so I was just wondering uh, what that was like for you as well. Well, you know, I decided years ago that if I'm going to be a Christian, I'm not going to be a weekend Christian. You know, I'm not going to be one of these guys who talks about my faith only when I'm at church and then hides it the other six days a week. I spent the first half of my life being a phony. I spent the, my formative years wearing masks and hiding who I really was because of fear of rejection. I, my fear of rejection was so powerful, it absolutely ran my life. It informed everything about me. And uh, so when I got free of that, I didn't want my faith to be one more thing that I hid or that I wore a mask about. So really, right from the beginning, 40 years ago when I got saved, I've kind of been one of those out there guys that doesn't hide his faith. So in the, in the documentary, how did that come together? You, you mentioned you had been in an event. Uh, you, you get people looking at you all the time because of you know, the way you look and, and how you look like George Bush and things like that. What started this whole movie documentary process? Well, a couple of guys came up to me during a lookalike convention. And if you've never been to a lookalike convention, my loving nickname for him is The Freak Show, <laughs> because it's just nuts. You turn around and there's Jack Nicholson. You turn around again and there's another Jack Nicholson. It's just the coolest, craziest, most surreal experience in the world. And even when you're one of the lookalikes, it's still surreal because it's just, you know, it's like one person said in the documentary, I thought I was weird until I saw all these other weirdos. Now I feel normal. <laughs> you know. So these, a lot of times when people come and want to film, at a lookalike convention, it's because they want to mock and ridicule and make fun. Because really, a lot of the lookalikes are not that good, and others are, and people just love to poke fun. And really, the, the lookalike conventions are more like a family reunion. I mean, there's no judgment. If you want to come and do it, nobody's going to look down on you, no matter how bad or good or whatever you are. It's, it's a really wonderful environment. But anyway, so these two guys came up and said, hey, we're, we're doing this documentary on, on uh, lookalikes, and I wonder if you'd like to take part. And uh, my, my default answer was to be skeptical, but I checked with uh, the folks that ran the convention, and they said, no, these guys are legit, and they're, we think they're okay. So I started filming with them, and they became pretty intrigued with my story and came actually to my house and followed me to an event and got quite a bit of footage about what I do. And uh, it became a really successful short. They took it around to uh, 
film festivals. And I, I even came with some of my friends to some of those festivals and we freaked people out. It was really a, a blast. And then the next year that was so popular, they blew it out to a full length movie and it's now available on Amazon or, or you can even watch it on Netflix for free. <laughs> it is. It's a good documentary. I really enjoyed it. So, and I thought, well, that's so cool that you got that opportunity, number one, to be featured in that, but then also uh, not just to be featured in, but to be real, to be honest, to be a person of faith who demonstrates that, not contrived, but just naturally being who you are. And they kept that in the film. I thought that's so cool that people will be able to see that. Yeah, I'm glad about that. I uh, asked them if they would be willing to do that right from the beginning, and they, uh, they said they would try. And as it turns out, they, they did. They honored that request. Well, so let's talk about the book, The War on Fear. And in, and in your War on Fear over the years, you've gone from, you know, doing kind of the day-to-day stuff, day job stuff, and now you did the, you know, just this wild journey that we talked about in the first episode that you and I recorded on the podcast of how you, your life basically got flipped with you becoming George W. Bush or being an impersonator of him. And what I want to talk about now is you've, had this desire to write this book, and that has opened up a lot of doors for you. Like last week, you were talking about, oh, I'm hanging out in Monroe, Louisiana, and I'm like, what's going on there? And then you tell me, and I'm just kind of like, my jaw hits the floor. So let's talk about the book and, and some of the opportunities that are coming from that. Okay. About five years ago, I was sitting at home alone in my house, and all of a sudden, I had this flash of inspiration of how much fear controlled my life how much it informed my decision-making. In other words, you get an idea, you get a thought, and right behind it come these fearful thoughts that shut it down. Or, you know, they take you on a little detour, and you get, you get into this little swirling eddy of doubt. What if this happens? What if that bad thing happens? Yeah, but it's too hard. Yeah, but you, you don't have what it takes. Yeah, but you'll fail. You know what I mean? And I, I know your listeners know what I mean, because we're all people, and we all deal with it. And uh, so one day it, it occurred to me that fear had just eaten my lunch and owned my life. And I got mad. I mean, I got really angry. And right out loud, alone in my home, I said, I declare war on fear. I declare war on fear. And you know what? I meant it. I didn't even know what I was saying. But that began an amazing new chapter in my life, Jared, where I have started to not be okay with fear owning me, dictating my choices. And so I began to study because, you know, we were talking about over dinner just a little while ago, the most commonly used phrase by Jesus Christ that is repeated throughout the New Testament or throughout the Gospels is, be not afraid. Don't be afraid. He said it over, and and if you look back through the Bible, it's like, I don't know, 300 and something times, 300 and something instances where people are asked to put their trust in God rather than fear. It's a big deal. Fear is a faith killer. It's a love killer. In fact, the Bible says that uh, love conquers fear because fear has to do with judgment. And when you understand what love is, the greatest act of love that's ever been experienced on the earth is when Jesus died for our sins. And when you understand that you've been given a full pardon then there's no need, there's, there's never any reason to have fear because it's all been done for us. And so we can move forward. So anyway, so I declared war on fear. 
And as I began to, to realize that I could get victory over these things that once totally owned my life, I got so excited. I started journaling and writing about it. And then I started looking around seeing all my friends, everybody I knew was all under the same shroud of fear, debilitating us from being who we want to be, who our heart tells us to be. And so I started writing, you know, War on Fear. But boy, I had to fight my way through the weeds. And it was like having a, a bayonet in, a, in the jungles of Southeast Asia, fighting my way through fear just to get the book written. But now, praise God, it's written and it's about to come out. And I, I just live with this insane sense of exhilaration, knowing that people are going to be set free from fear. And it's just so exciting. It is. And, and what were you doing in Monroe, Louisiana? Well, one year ago today, I was on the Duck Commander Cruise with my wife and a bunch of my friends because we worked up the nerve to ask if we could go on that cruise and perform. I mean, you know, most of these things, you know, people don't ask for the big stuff because they automatically are afraid. They automatically assume somebody's going to say no. They assume it's not going to happen, not going to work out, blah, blah, blah. Well, I worked up the nerve because I'm working on this book and every other thing to ask, actually, to say the truth, I think it was my wife who asked, if we could go on this cruise with the Duck Commander guys from Duck Dynasty. And uh, to my surprise, they said, yeah, come on, entertain. <laughs> I mean, it was the Duck Commanders and me. And I was on stage. I was in skits with them. It was awesome. Well, while I was on the cruise, you know, you spend a lot of time backstage. We, I got to know everybody, especially Alan and Lisa Robertson, the beardless brother. <laughs> right, right. And uh, so while we were there, I asked Alan if he would be willing to write the foreword to my book, War on Fear, that I was still writing. Again, that was a year ago, and I, I'm just now finishing the book. I'm telling you, folks, it was a hard book. And when you see how the book is under 200 pages, you'll go, it took you five years to write this? I say, yes. <laughs> but when you, when you understand, I had to get free before I could write it, then you, you'll get it. You'll get it. And when you read the book, you'll feel this passion that I'm talking about right now. And you're going to get mad at fear that, that holds you back and you're going to be given the strategies to overcome it. And so, so Al wrote the forward to the book. And then I got the nerve to ask him for, for one more favor. Would you do an ad for me to help me launch the book and to, to help folks want to buy it? And he said, sure. So he invited us to Monroe. We spent the day in Phil and Kay's house, eating his homemade gumbo, peeling the shrimp. I mean, I'm telling you, we got to know Alan Kay. Alan, I'm sorry, Alan, Lisa, Phil and Kate on a first hand. When we pulled up to the house, it was so awesome. Al looks down to the river where they've been duck hunting their whole life. Phil Robertson still lives in the house he raised those kids in. It's amazing. As much money as they've made on that show, it has not changed him one iota. It's phenomenal how real those people are. So we were pulling up to the house. And Al looks down to the river and there's his dad coming up over the hill like Moses or something. And he goes, oh, look, he's wearing his waders. That means he just baptized someone. Wow. And sure enough, here comes Phil. He's, he's wet. He's just baptized somebody in the river. And here comes some guy just got saved, soaking wet, just got baptized. It's nuts. When we're talking earlier at dinner, you'd, you'd made a comment about obedience and the result of, of being obedient to the things that you believe God is leading you to do. And let's just hit on that for a little bit, because that, that really resonated with me. How important is it to be obedient to what you believe God is calling you to do? 
Well, years ago, a phrase caught my heart, and it's in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, where Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll do what I command. And my commandment is this, love one another. And so I believe that our obedience to the Gospels and to Christ and to the nudges of the Holy Spirit are a barometer of how much we actually love God. They're a measuring stick. And so I've just said to God, for as long as I've been a Christian, God, help me to love you more. Help me to love you enough to take the risk of obedience. And it's kind of a misnomer to say that it's risky to obey God, because really, God's never been wrong, ever. And if he asks you to do something, duh, it's automatically the right thing to do. And the fact that we argue about it, or the fact that we're afraid to do it, is exactly what I'm talking about in this book, War on Fear. Who's the book War on Fear for? Anybody who experiences fear. Fear of anything. Fear of what's going to happen after the election. Fear of the direction of our country. Fear of being rejected by somebody you're trying to date or even your own spouse. Fear of being insignificant and not mattering in this world. These are all the things I touch on in the book. I don't touch on politics. Because even though I'm a George Bush impersonator, I'm not a political guy. I'm an artist, you know? So I prefer to talk about my love for Laura and Barney the dog. You know what I mean? (laughs) I can talk about political stuff, but it's not really my bent. No, I like that, though. So so the book's coming out, and where can people go check that out? Well, it's depending on when your podcast airs. It's on Amazon now. So you can either pre-order it or order it on Amazon today. And I'm so excited. I I hope you'll all pick up a copy, and I hope you'll all review it, and I hope you'll all let me know how it served you. Would you be willing to share a specific story, uh, and you've shared a few already, but just another one where you had to battle the war on fear, and, and you were able to work through that? When I was growing up, Jared, I had so much fear that I had two different groups of friends. I would hang around with one, until somebody asked me some sort of intimate question. And then I would quickly jettison that entire group of friends and go hang out with the other, the other group. I rarely would engage conversations because I was so afraid to form an opinion because I didn't want to be rejected. I was literally probably, I would be clinically some kind of, I don't know. I don't know what they call it because I'm not a psychologist, but I was dysfunctional at the very least. Fear really, truly did dictate my entire existence. And so I talk about that in the book. I'm very vulnerable. You know, it's so cool. I used to be completely, I used to be the opposite of vulnerable. I was a complete phony because of fear of rejection. And now, you know, I kind of let it all hang out because I know it serves people when people are real. People are looking for honesty. They're looking for vulnerability and a heart. But you know what's, better than vulnerability in a heart? Vulnerability in a heart with a little bit of wisdom to help somebody get out of their, their, their mess. And that's what I, you know, I humbly submit that I bring to the party. I love it. I'm excited about reading it. I'm hoping everybody goes and checks it out on Amazon. And uh, we always like to close the show with final thoughts. So what's your final thought, John? Well, my final thought is I would like to tell you what my favorite concert was. <laughs> well, I thought we talked about concerts before. Well, we talked about ukuleles, but uh, you, you, uh, 
I was waiting for the question. And, uh, uh, well, we, we, you've been on the show before, though. You've answered the question. I know, but, uh, well, okay. But a concert came to mind, and uh, I'd like to share it. It's, yes. uh, it was a Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young concert. And what was so cool about it is at the beginning of the show, they played a song, and then they just looked out at the audience and said, oh, well, you guys are all here. Wow. Well, we're just going to jam, but you're welcome to join us. And it felt so cool. It was like 100,000 people all sitting around in a circle singing Kumbaya. <laughs> you have the uke still out, man. Is there any, any uh, parting tune? <laughs> Are you from Dixie? I say from Dixie. Where the fears of cotton beckon to be. I'm glad to see ya. I say how be ya. And all the folks I'm longing to see. And I, you know, I'm going to stop there because I've actually never played this song on a lead. <laughs> and I, I don't want to play a wrong chord, so I'll choose to play none at all. Well, I hope people go and check you out over at johncmorgan.com. All the cool stuff you got going over there. You also have a, was it bushgrams.com? But yes, I do bushgrams. Comedic or heartfelt videos for birthdays, anniversaries, bar mitzvahs, you know, circumcisions, whatever, you know. And uh, bushgrams.com. My motto is, why send flowers when you can send a bush? I love that. John, thank you so much. You're welcome. It's an honor. God bless you. Are you from Dixie? I say from Dixie, where the fields of cotton beckon to be. I'm glad to see ya. I say how be ya, and all the folks I'm longing to see.